our keynote speaker for tonight, Liz Anthony. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm a compulsive overeater. Oh, this makes me so happy. The hardest thing I had to do today, the hardest thing that I will do today, is not get up here and share my story with you. I'm not going to say that's necessarily easy, but it's good. The hardest thing I had to do was decide what weight to put on my renewal for my driver's license. (laughs) I'm like, I have averaged my weight, and I'm like, well, I'll pick this number. And it's like, Liz, this is a program of rigorous rigorous honesty. If four years from now that weight is different, then you need to be in the moment for it. So I picked the weight that I'm at. I also kept my height at 5'3", even though every time I go to the doctor, it's like less than that, but... And I'm going to stay being a blonde for as long as I can. So, <laughs> It is such an honor and a privilege to be here. It really is. And I can tell you that I know the behind the scenes to get us here in this room tonight has been tremendous. Uh, this wasn't a year planning. This wasn't two years planning. Boy, this feels like it's been at least three years in planning. And the persistence and the resiliency that we all show to keep coming back and making it happen um, just reminds me how incredible our recovery is. So I thank all of you for being in this room tonight. I thank all of those who have had service um, because it gives me this opportunity, gives all of us this opportunity to give away what we have. And that's what it's all about. Raise your hand or wink at me if this is your, you've been in program for less than six months. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to start with when I was a newcomer. I'm going to tell that real quick, and then I'm going to go back to the past, because my past is important. It doesn't define me, but it helps frame who I am and who I've been and help me understand why I did the things that I did. So I came into OA. Uh, I had a daughter who was 11 months old. I was weighing close to 250 pounds, but I stopped weighing myself. Uh, It was just weeks before my 29th birthday. And I went to my first meeting, but I didn't find that first meeting because I decided I wanted to go to OA, that I wasn't happy with what I was going on. I, hadn't, I didn't have a clue about what OA was. About four or five months earlier, I was walking with a friend of mine, and I just said, you know, I think I'm going to get my stomach stapled. Here I had this baby, and I'm like, I think I'm going to get my stomach stapled. The person not in recovery said to me, Liz, I don't think it's about the food. That was the first thing. Second thing was I had a friend of a friend who had dropped a tremendous amount of weight, and I heard peripherally the words uh, compulsive eater, and then I somehow heard OA, that's two. Three is the church that I was attending at the time had this group 
that met in the library on Monday nights at 7.30. And it was an OA meeting. That was it. I called that number and listened to the recording that went on and on and on and on. That was before you could press anything. It was just, you just had to listen to the whole thing. And so I'm like, there's a meeting at at my church, and I'm going to go to that. And damn it, two and a half weeks later, I did. (laughs) You know? Um, And I walked into that room, and I can't describe what that feeling was like. It wasn't fear, because I didn't know what I was at that point. It was finding this place where everybody spoke my language. It was finding this space where people shared in an honest way that I had never heard before. People were telling my story. It was a first-step meeting. I will tell you for a fact there are people in this room tonight that were at my very first meeting. So I've kept coming back all this time. Nature, nurture, I don't know. It doesn't matter. My earliest food memories, besides just having something to eat, was age four years old. My dad traveled a lot, and he brought Lifesavers home for my two older brothers and myself. Four years old, I took care of my stack, and then I started going after one of my brothers, and I started choking on it. Four years old. Nobody else tells that story in my family. That is my story because I remember it, and I don't talk about it except to you all. Throughout those early years, food was very much a part of it, It, but it had a context that was thrown off. It was sneaking. It was that there was something about it that I had to do where nobody could see me and the things that I did. So fast forward, started to get heavy prepubescent. Then in, in middle school, so I grew up, so I'm born in 58, so the Brady Bunch is a big show on TV when I'm the same age as, like, Marsha and Jan. (laughs) And that's the gold standard, and I am nothing like it. So I'd spend all my time on Friday nights. I think it came on on Friday nights or Saturday nights. It was the night that I babysat for people, and I was a good babysitter. For 50 cents an hour, not only would I take care of the kids, put them to bed, clean the house, I'd also empty the refrigerator. (laughs) And so I would watch the Brady Bunch and want to be that and not be that person. So that was throwing things off from the get-go. And I was a compulsive overeater from maybe before four years old. And so through high school, I was always heavy and always large-breasted. And I got into swimming, which saved my life. Um, swimming saved my life because it gave me structure and it kept me physical. And it was, the, it was something that I do today except for a shoulder injury, but it's the thing that I did that I didn't know I needed, but I had to have, and it gave me that structure, and so I continued to do that. Things happened in my family. Uh, Both my parents were alcoholics, and my father left our home when I was age 10. Um, The police had been called because he'd ripped the phone out, and he had assaulted my mom, and the police let him come and say goodnight to all of us, right? That's little kid trauma. That's trauma I can identify. The trauma I couldn't identify I was trying to bury with food. Let's scoot forward. I am uh, a freshman in high school, a freshman in college, and we have a house fire. And in this house fire, it was a huge house fire. We were all living at home. It was in the middle of the night. All of us escaped. My mom and my stepfather went out the front door. 
My mom tried to come back in. The police were there by then. They put her in the squad car, and she had to wait. And while she was in that squad car, she thought we were all dead. Her babies were in that, you know, and, and we were all adults. And my brother, one of my brothers and I got out one door, got out a second-story window to another second-story window. One brother climbed out a third-story window. One took a second-story window. And the police grabbed us and took us and put us in that police car so we could be with their mom. That's trauma. When, when we were, this, we lived on the east side of Milwaukee on Lake Drive, right near St. Mary's Hospital. That's where they took us, smoke inhalation or whatever. When we went back, there was no house to go to, but one of the neighbors had opened their house. And I go back, and, and everybody's drinking, right? And I'm like, I am not going to do that. No. And what I did was I went for the food. I could not identify that. I could sit in judgment of that other stuff, and I could identify that. And it always bothered me. Oh, I hate when that happens. But I didn't realize my part in it. So off and on through, through um, college, my, my weight shifted. You know, I say it's like, it's called the stock market, called the temperature, change in weather. It's up, it's down, it's mostly up, 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 and down, and then up again. My mom gets diagnosed with breast cancer 10 months after that house fire. And so in that, my mom dies, and um, in that time, there is this self-awareness. There's like this weird freedom. So I'm trying to get the chronology. I'll get to the good stuff, trust me. But I have to build this, this background. My parents divorced. My dad was living in one of those flop houses near the VA. He was a veteran. And, and, and all through high school, she kept us away. Through grade school and high school, she kept us away. But in, high, in college, we... We built a relationship. So we had these interesting relationships with all these people. I'm going to cut to the chase here. I'm 20 years old. My mom gets diagnosed with cancer. I'm 19 years old. At 20, she dies um, eight months after her diagnosis. At 23, my brother Dave dies in a car accident in Colorado. I've been married 10 months. That devastated me. And I went to the food as absolute survival. When I heard that he had died in this car accident, I felt like I was running. It, it, the visual that I have is I'm running. It's black outside. This is hot pavement, and I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running, and I smack into a wall. And I went to the food. I don't know how much I weighed at that point at my top weight, but it was a lot. And I knew at that point that I had so much pain. I started to get into counseling. Two years later, my dad dies, throat cancer. So by this time, by the time I'm 25, I have buried most of my family. But the thing is, I'm resilient, and I'm persistent, and that piece of hope has always stayed in me. There is that part about me that says, I get that this is bad, but this isn't my fault. I knew that it wasn't my fault. I, wasn't, I didn't feel that I was being punished, and thankfully I had a God that was loving and supporting and other people. And, and my two younger, my younger Sib and my oldest Sib and I are all very close. So I get married, and I have this baby. And um, while I'm pregnant, there's issues. I end up with 12 weeks straight bed rest because I'm pre-gestational diabetes, and I'm um, high blood pressure, borderline high blood pressure, and I was told by my doctor, you need to stop eating sugar. So at that point, I'm like, I got this baby to grow. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so I did. And so I gave up sugar at that point. 
She's born, it's healthy, I am using and using and using the food. By the time this baby is 11 months old, I find myself in recovery. But before I did that, I kept her in a high chair while I kept eating. I took her in a car as a colicky baby so I could drive over to Port Washington Road and get my frozen fix, right? This disease is deadly. It is deadly. There are no two ways about it. So here I am, this addict who is abusing other people, and this teeny tiny little human is being taken along for the ride. She's 11 months old. My last binge was a sleeve. Those girls in the green uniforms that are selling stuff right now, that was my last binge. That was it. I had that stack before I went to my first meeting. I never looked back. Got into my first meeting, and there was home. I got abstinent right away. Uh, Worked with a food sponsor, wrote it down. The things that we tell you, that we share with you, that you read, that you hear in the meetings are true. That food obsession will be lifted. It will. One day at a time, one meal at a time. And I had to start out with one meal, two meals, three meals. I just needed that concept. And the, and the underlying part of all of this was I really thought I was going to die if I didn't eat. I really, I really, it, it was so hardwired in me. And I didn't figure that out till I got clean. So I've been coming back ever since. I get pregnant with my son, who I call my serenity baby. I try not to say that around my daughter, but, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> they are A and Z personalities, and they're wonderful, and I love them, and they're big now. So um, we all came out okay. But when I was pregnant, I can remember being at a meeting and sharing in a group. This is why anonymity is so important. I, was, I shared in a group at one of my meetings that I was pregnant. And after the meeting, somebody came up to me and said, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't help but I had to share with so-and-so, and, and they were congratulating me. And that was kind of like, and then one of the people said, you won't be able to stay abstinent while you're pregnant. I'm like, what? I've come this far in 18 months. Um, and so I called my sponsor, and she said, don't give your power away. Don't give your power away. That's what I needed to learn. I didn't need to give my power away. So the things I've learned in recovery are what other people think of me is none of my business. And that has saved me in so many circumstances, good and bad. I'm in a great career right now. I love it. And I have to not worry or think about what other people think of me. I know I'm doing right and I'm going straight and I'm doing what I need to do and not let my head get in the way. So I'm abstinent. I'm clean. My son is born to be abstinent in recovery um, and be pregnant in recovery and all that. I became so present, and I was so grateful for it. I'd say maybe six to nine months after my son was born, the little four-year-old who took the lifesavers, why that little four-year-old was killing the pain? was because the fact that I had been sexually abused surfaced. So all these years of using and using and using were like this layer, you know, the concrete and then the dirt and then the earth and then the dinosaur bones and all of that. And, and, and I had to uncover all that, and it got uncovered. 
And I did it abstinently. It was scary. The truth is, you have to walk through that fire. You can't walk around it. You can't take a detour. You can't put it off. And I walk through the fire of that and many other things. So let me just, you know, this is, my kids are like 30, almost 37 and almost 35. So I'm not going to give you each of their years. But um, what happened was life came into play. Now realize I have never stopped coming to my meetings. And I had a very long-term abstinence. And things started to happen with a teenage daughter, and I needed to be very present. I had to be the very best I could be at that time, and I had lots of support. The beautiful thing is I could go to my meetings, and I could sit there, and I could just cry or be scared or share, and I took so much in during that time. The idea that we're all here together supporting each other happens every single time there is a meeting. Don't ever underestimate that. There was a time when I thought my daughter disappeared for over 24 hours. She, at that point, was using um, drugs. And I was feeling all of it, right? I'm talking about it. I'm praying about it, but it is here. And it's here like this. And I'm like, I have got to do something. So I'm not a writer. I got a notebook walked over to the Milwaukee River, sat on the banks, cried, and wrote a letter to God. I put it all out there. I could put all my fears, everything out there. What if she dies? What if, what if, what if, what if? And I shared that pain, and I shared that fear. I come back home. I'm sitting on my front porch, and this kid walks up. I just look at her, and she goes in the house. Those are the ways that I made it through some of these really scary times. My kids went to Europe. <clears throat> their dad paid for a trip. <clears throat> and uh, their uncle, who lives in, who's a single guy who lives in London, uh, helped plan the trip, which is great. They're going to stay with Uncle Danny in London, and then they're going to stay at a hostel in, in Paris for a couple days, and then they're going to be in a, a hostel in Amsterdam. Who the hell sends teenagers to Amsterdam on their own? <laughs> right? And then they're going to wrap up their trip with the family in Norway. Oh, thank God. Um, I'm at work. I get a call. Mom, my kids are thousands of miles away, and I do not have a passport. I'm at work. I get a call. It's my daughter. Mom, David's ODing on mushrooms. And I'm like, honey, um, I'm going to go home now, and if you could call me on the landline. So what happens with all that stuff I've been banking in recovery, so all this stuff's always happening, but you know the one thing that's not coming? The food, the using the food. The beauty of keep coming back and working your program to the best of your ability, this is far from perfect, is having that savings account to tap into. So I get the call. I'm like, call me. I'll be home in 20 minutes. Call me on the landline. As I'm driving home, I'm having all these thoughts for two minutes. How am I going to bring this body back? I don't have a passport. Am I going to have to, you know, what am I going to have to do? Am I going to have to work at the embassy? That lasted for two minutes. The next thing that comes into my mind is, this is Amsterdam. Dumb kids do this all the time. This is not the first kid to do it. This is a controlled substance in that country, blah, 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 blah. 
And then a peace comes over because I've connected with my higher power. And I've asked for that strength and for that guidance, and that was there. My partner on the drive home was my higher power. It all worked out. It all worked out. And afterwards, I was able to, to not only continue processing it, but share it with some very key recovery friends who understood that because they'd been through similar things. That's, these are the things that we can share with one another. These are the things you don't have to keep secret. Wow, this is really hard. I mean, I would never tell anybody that I kept an 11-month-old baby in her high chair for hours while I kept eating. Yeah, you do. You do that in this room because this is how we get better. And so he's fine. It's all great. That, that happens. I go through a divorce. Previous to that, that was messy, made it through. Um, I'm going to fast forward. So some of the things that I've learned in my recovery, the promises were really key. The steps are absolute. There's just no two ways about it. But I'm here to talk about the things, those, those sort of touchstones for me that really helped. Early in recovery, um, I, was, I was clean. And so when you're clean, especially first, especially if you come off your addiction for certain things, um, everything's right here and figuring out that balance and how to process through. So I was the kind of compulsive overeater who, everything. Everything was an exaggeration, and I'm not going to say overreaction. My feelings were real, but, I mean, I was at stage 10 when a 4 or 5 might have been the right kind of place to be. So what I've learned is that this, this resiliency piece is really important. So when I first came into OA, my husband got... Uh, my ex-husband got laid off from his job. All that fear. Alcoholic parents, you get evicted. The sheriff comes. The police take your dad away. You know, yet, yet every time you move, it's because you couldn't pay the rent. And, you know, all this insecurity. But the promises, right? So I remember kind of sorting through this and thinking, I'm really scared we're going to end up on the street. The reason I remember my story and share that is because when that happens to me, I realize that a lot of what's happening is stuff that's from the past that all of a sudden is affecting it. That's the beauty of sticking around long enough is that I really see that. I was able to see that um, and, and was able to move through it, all with recovery. So the promises are really tremendous. The part about will not have, um, I think it's what, economic fear um, and, and, and in, intuitiveness and all those things, it's like, the promises came true so early in the program. I'm not even sure that I knew there were promises at that point. And so that was really cool. So we're going to move it up. Stuff happens. Life happens. I've always accepted life's on, life on life's terms. I'm going to move us up to the pandemic. I'm going to move us right up to the pandemic here. Two weeks, a week before the great sh- beginning of the great shutdown, I was... Um, at a work conference down in Chicago at one of the airports at, at O'Hare. It's all international pilots, right? It's all, it's all the crew staff. It's all of that, and this hotel's busy and people. And I'm like, I saw it coming, right? And I'm like, I had a turtleneck on. I'm like pulling up my turtleneck, and I'm like, can we end this meeting? And that guy coughing in the back, can he just leave now? I'm like, come on. I get home. I, I make some stops. And I get home because I think I could be infected, and I didn't want to infect anybody. So this is right at the very beginning. Our company says you work from home. You can't call on your accounts anymore. We're going to go virtual. That was Saturday. 
by the next Friday, my whole architectural team was laid off. I get a call from my boss, and she says, you're being laid off. We'll give you two weeks vacation pay. And the first words out of my mouth are, and I said it five times. And then I said, oh, my God, I'm not going to have any health insurance. I don't have a paycheck coming in. What am I going to do? Kid you not. The very next sentence was, my mortgage is paid off. I have money in the savings account. I'm sure there'll be, I can cover my COBRA for my insurance. It's like recovery just came right there and just surrounded me. And so I didn't have to use over this. The year before, I got to, I'm not linear, just so you know. Um, the year before, I had, I had had four years of relapse. So I was putting on weight, right? I have hypothyroidism. Things were out of kilter with that. I hadn't gotten the right setup that I needed to from a healthcare professional or whatever. But I got into the food. So in April 2019, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm really kind of in pain. And I'm like, every time I breathe my, my lungs, and I'm like, oh, i got to Google it. I think one of my lungs collapsed. And then I'm like, uh, I start looking it up, and it's gallstones. So I get to the doctor the next day. They do an ultrasound, and it's not good. My liver doesn't look good. My gallbladder doesn't look good. And my doctor says, you got some choices here. One of those choices is you can get rid of fried foods. You can get rid of um, spicy foods. And you can really cut down on dairy. Right? This is a dairy state. I mean, that's a seasoning in my house. But here's the thing. She said, if you do that, let's give this a go so we don't want to have to remove your gallbladder. That was the beginning of my abstinence. That was April 19, 2019. Of course. That's the beauty of recovery. I've been showing up at meetings. I've been doing what I need to do. And I know that I can do it one day at a time. This was no hard call. She knew I was in recovery. She knew that. We talked about that. She knew that I went to a 12-step program. She knew that. She knew that I, what abstinence was. And so from that day on became my abstinence. And I, I'm not making fun of this at all because it's not funny, but I was losing weight during the pandemic, right? The gift that came to me for my recovery in the pandemic was tremendous. We get the shutdown. I'm going to a Saturday meeting, and I'm going to a Monday night meeting. About less than a week later, I get a call. This is the phone number for the Monday night meeting. We're going to meet with the phone, over the phone. And then soon enough, we were set up with other ways to meet for these other meetings. And so here I am laid off, and I knew that my higher power had a plan for me. I just knew it. And the really cool thing is, so now I'm like in my 60s, right? I'm out of work. I'm 62 years old. And I'm looking to the future with great excitement. I, I really am. And I really did. Because I'm like, my higher power has never let me down. You know, I came from this, this person who was keeping a little baby in a high chair while I was getting my fix to this person who can move through the world, right, in a way that makes me whole.
And that's all recovery. So that's the resilience. The persistent piece is I'm not going to listen to my old boss who's saying, you know, you, you know, there's a lot of ageism out there, and it's going to be really hard getting a job, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, boom, out of here. I don't want to listen to that. What I listened to was, what's the plan? Where's my hair power going to take me? And I started to do some career work and a lot of volunteering and getting to meetings all while I'm by my own self in my house on Jarvis Street. This is a pandemic. It's me. But I never felt alone. So I used that time to step my game up with recovery. And I got to more meetings. I was able to go to Zoom meetings, started going to like the Wednesday morning New Berlin meeting, which was great. And then I had a Saturday morning meeting and a Monday night meeting that I was going to. And I started doing service, more and more service. And I did that in my community because I had to have purpose. See, the thing is, when you lose a job, for me, it was I lost my identity. But the flip of it is I knew that my higher power had a plan for me that was so much greater than all of that, right? And so what I did was I saddled up. I saddled up and figured out what are the ways I need to take care of myself Right? So my clean was my food was really clean and it was really simple and it was really basic and that's the way I like it. When you're unemployed, your funds are a little limited, so you know, seriously, I got carry out six times in ten months. That's that's not many times, you know, and it and it was all clean food and it and it was fine. So as I'm going through this journey, I'm like, I have to be very much aware and very present. And so connecting to a way on a way that I knew I could bring something to the table, um, I wasn't necessarily in a need to take. And it's weird, because I was just sharing with somebody this morning, that I, uh, today, that I came through the pandemic really well. I mean, I'm in much better physical shape now than I was five years ago, Right. Um, and, and I was able to get back to the pool, and I was able in safe ways to do these things and stay connected. And I knew that um, I had to do more, right? Not to prove myself, but to push myself, to stretch myself. And I started taking these guided meditations, which to this day have absolutely stayed with me. I'm in the back of the room, and I'm watching everybody, and I'm like, I'm doing my deep breathing because I need to get centered before I come up here. So the pandemic was really interesting. All sorts of stuff happened in those months, right? Big stuff. Big, big stuff. And I was not going to sit on my hands. And so I engaged in things that felt that I needed to. I needed to step the heck out of my comfort zone and move into areas that made me uncomfortable because I needed to put truth to power. These were some of the things that I needed to do during this time. So I'm looking for a job. I'm swimming. I'm staying in touch with people. I'm finding ways to connect to my community and help out because I know my higher power is there for me the whole time. And so that part of it. How am I doing on time, Jane? I'm 19 minutes. 19 minutes. I could probably go back to, like, my... <laughs> Wait, post-college? Yeah, I told you about that. No, 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 no. If you can't tell, humor is something that saves my... And I don't... I, 
I'm a recovering sarcastic person. Seriously, because my sarcasm was as sharp as a knife, but it was always at somebody else's expense, and it was because I was insecure. So now I'm just funny. My humor has come back. My, my humor came back during the pandemic, honestly. I'm like, wow, what a blessing. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was cool. So figuring out what those things are, what my higher power wants for me, but I'm working with all of you, right? I'm getting to the meetings. I'm helping out on committees when I can because I need you all. You are my lifeblood. It's not going to happen if you aren't here. And so <clears throat> one of the things that I've always done since the day I got abstinent is tell people that need to know it, I am abstinent. But the way that I tell people can be, no, thank you. Uh, I don't eat in between meals. Um, Sugar and I, I've got a weird body chemistry. It just doesn't work. It's not me, it's them. Uh, you know, and, but I do that. And that is part of my preservation. Those are the things that I need to do. So what's really cool about recovery is I have been given permission to do a whole lot of things, Right? And some of the things I've been given permission to are to say no thank you. I've been given permission to not worry about my hypothetical neighbor when I first got clean who would bring stuff over because I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's not my business. That's my disease calling me. That's my disease saying, oh, well, you know, she'll be hurt if I don't. It's like... You know, I pulled the oxygen mask down at this point. I'm not giving it away. And so those are one of the things that I got permission in recovery. And not that I needed permission, but you get what I'm saying. You know, it's like this is, this is okay. Um, I also learned that I can love my kids, but sometimes I just don't like them, right? <laughs> and that was really important because as a mother, I'm like, I want to... You know, you can't say something hurtful to your kid. I learned to make living amends, thank God. Um, Seriously, I I was able to make living amends really early in their life. But I also knew that because I heard it in a meeting with someone else sharing that it was okay, that I had those feelings too and that was okay. So those were some of the things that that I got permission for. Some other things I got permission for were not having to have all the answers, not having to be my higher power. It's not my job. When I turned 60, uh, I wanted to, my my goal, I don't do New Year's resolutions because I live my life one day at a time, and I got my, you know, action plan, and that's, you know, that's as much as I'm going to go. But this idea that, I am going to um, begin to meet people on their where they're at, right? Sounds pretty noble, doesn't it? Like, I'm going to have my 65th birthday, and I think I've done that five times in these five years. But it's what I want to do to get whole. I need to, to step away from the judging. I need to step away from trying to fix things. And I'm not a big fixer, but the temptation is there. And so meeting people on, on their terms. So 
this brings me to my relationship with my kids because it's, it's, it's challenging. As a person in recovery, when they're little and you're a recovering compulsive overeater and you're cooking food for them, there's a challenge there. That is absolutely a challenge to figure out what is healthy, what are boundaries, what are all those things. But for adult children, what I heard from my higher power was, you know, that intuitive thing. The first time my son came to me and, and he basically wanted me to tell him what to do in a situation. And the first words out of my mouth was, I trust you're going to make the right decision. I mean, I'm a recovering control freak, too, so that's a huge thing. I trust you're going to make the right decision. So as years have progressed in my 60s and with my adult children, I have pictured myself. What is the message I want to hear? Like, what is the message if my kids come to me with something, what is the message I want to hear? I give the best effort to be positive, right? I don't judge. I don't say, well, I would have, or you should. Um, should went out the window. Should equals shame. Could equals choice. I learned that early on. And so where I am today is that I'm learning that I want to be that person, and I want to give that gift of what I would want to. And if you're not capable of giving it, then, then I need to work on meeting you where you're at, Right? So I get a brand new job. Ten months I'm out of work. I'm willing to do anything, right? Because I'm persistent, you know? Part of the beauty of being a recovering compulsive overeater is we're as tenacious as hell. And so I'm like, whatever it takes. The first job I got, um, I was driving 110 miles round trip. Quasi in my career was in Jefferson. And I was working with people that had grown up on farms, it's so cool to have recovery because I learned so much. The old Liz would have been like, farms, well, I was a city kid, and you can't be very smart, and it's like, stop that, you know? And so I got to listen, that part about listening and getting to know them as well. That helped me get in, in line for the job that I have today. What's really cool is I got this job when I was 64 years old. It's a very physical job. I get in front of interior designers and architects and, and flooring contractors, and I have tile that I talk to them about, and I want them to get specified on projects. I have to be knowledgeable, but I have to be authentic. So some of the things that I do is not a whole lot. I know my stuff. I come into the room, and I'm a really good listener. So... All the gifts that I have given in my recovery have got me to this point where the, the gifts that I have gotten, I, I couldn't have said 20 years ago, this is the person I want to be. But this is the person I want to be. This is the person my higher power wants me to be. This is where I am in my life. And I'm so grateful for it. The fact that we have people sitting at tables and chairs tonight is so much to be grateful for. So the, the, the thing about recovery, and, and my story, it's long. I mean, I could probably go on for days on this, but, but I won't. I mean, part of what I want to tell you is that life happens. I didn't want my mom to die. I didn't want my brother at 26 to die in a car accident. I didn't want my kids to go through the heartache they did. 
I didn't want to lose my job, but I accepted all those things. I was given the gift of moving away from the food and getting a second chance. I always said I didn't have um, a relapse in me, but I was wrong. I had a relapse in me. And when I got to the point where I was able to, to just, when my doctor said that, and honestly, this is the truth. It's all the truth. <laughs> my truth for this is, before I'd seen my doctor, I wanted something to happen to me. Ten minutes. I can, get, I can do this, Jane. Um, I wanted my doctor to tell me that I was pre-diabetic. I wanted something that was going to, because I wanted to get my abstinent back, right? That's what I wanted. So I wanted that to happen to me. It was a gallbladder attack, right? I mean, okay, uh, that's good enough. That works for me. But what I did differently was I went back, and when I got home that night, or whenever I got home, I literally got down on my knees and I prayed and I cried to my higher power because this was my second chance. And I didn't know if I was going to get a second chance or not. And I got it. I also asked for guidance. I always, when, I, when I'm partnering with my higher power, I'm always asking for strength and guidance and that intuitive peace. I wear glasses, I could have the best freaking glasses. I could not tell you what an average portion looked like, no matter what my prescription was. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to weigh and measure. I'm going to figure out what the hell a portion that would feed this body to get to whatever was going to happen, what that was. And so I have been learning what that is, what, what that looks like. Not a diet, nothing like a diet. So I turned it all over. Step one happens anytime step one needs to happen. It can happen all the time. I'm driving out here and some guy's speeding and he's cutting me off and it's like, oh, powerless over that guy. You know, it's like, okay. But I got that abstinence. So what I did was something else that I had not done before and that was have an abstinent diet, an abstinent plan of eating. And and that was really different. So what I've discovered during that, this all can sound like, this is really good, and it is really good, but weird things like body dysmorphia have come into play. Like, I know I have to see pictures, and I can look in the mirror that this is who I am right now for today, but I'm that 200-pound person who was at my doctor's office with a gallbladder attack, right? So sometimes I talk about it, at the meetings, I just share. You guys are my, you know, you're my recovery. And so those are the things that I share. And so that's where I am today. Uh, I injured my shoulder, which is not good when you're lifting tiles all the time, right? So I've been doing some self-care around that, but I've had to move away from swimming. And I'm like, i got to get into PT because the, the other stuff's not working and I've got to do that. That's on my, my action plan right now. I need to get back to the pool. My food hasn't necessarily changed, but I've started to gain some weight, right? 
that's an understanding, that's an awareness. It is not like, I have lost everything, it's the end of the world, what about all this? It's like going right back to where I need to go to. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. The things that happen in these rooms, I will tell you, as you journey through, as you get clean, as you get farther along in your recovery, or wherever you are, know that there is always someone in front of you who is reaching their hand back. So when I realized that I had been sexually abused as a teeny tiny person, that person showed up in a meeting and they shared their story and I knew that that person was reaching out their hand, right? So those hands have reached out, they've reached out in hugs, They've reached out in extensions when we closed, when we could before the pandemic, reaching back. Just know that. This is not an easy program. We live in a world where, where we celebrate all of that around that stuff in our refrigerators. You know what? I've learned to be present in so many different ways. I'm present on a hike. I'm present on a walk. I'm present when I'm reading my book. I don't need to circle around the food thing for me, right? And that's okay. I have permission to not have to do that, that there are all sorts of ways to celebrate. So for today, I am abstinent. I travel back and forth to Madison and Green Bay quite a bit, and this week usually I just stop and get a cup of soup because, you know, around lunchtime or whatever, and that's fine, that's abstinent, it, it meets all my criteria. But this week I made a little something for me, it's still cold, so I just left it in the car. And I was just really grateful. I got five minutes. I can wrap this up. I was just really grateful. That was my higher power saying, here's another way you can do it too, right? So the program isn't easy, but don't do it alone. I strongly encourage you to get a sponsor, to come to your meetings, to walk through the fear, all those things. I will tell you that the things that make me really happy in a way, and I'm going to get choked up about it, but that's, that's okay, is when someone who hasn't been at a meeting for a really long time walks through those doors again. I, I don't know if I stopped coming through those doors if I would have that courage to come back. But know that that door is always open. And you are always welcome back because we need each other. And that's the beautiful thing about recovery. And that's the beautiful thing about OA. We're the gift for each other. And I'll pass with that.